welcome to today's episode of the Uncorked Corner podcast. We are excited to be back for our fall 2022 season, and we're kicking off the season with Travis Talbot. So Travis, can you give us a little bit of your background? Tell us how you got to where you are, and you're involved in a lot of different things. So let us and our listeners know and kind of see inside of everything that you do on a day-to-day basis. Thanks, Bianca, and thanks for having me on the show. You and Nick appreciate the opportunity to join into the conversation. Um, geez, where to start? Uh, well, I guess I've only I've only ever had two jobs my entire life, so I'm I'm what they classify as a hospitality lifer. So my entire career has been comprised of working in hospitality, and that's in every sector from uh, front of house, back of house, independent restaurants, uh, flagship hotels, casinos, cruise ships. Then I made the mistake of owning a few places on my own. That was a good lesson learned. Um, and the only other job I've ever had besides that is I was a pro cowboy and a rodeo clown for a couple of years, but uh, I wasn't very good at that. But uh, <laughs> so I came back to hospitality. So since the age of nine, um, you know, child labor, working for my mom in a diner in the dish pits and sweeping floors, stocking shelves, and just worked my way up um, through literally every single position that I can think of or that you guys can think of in the hospitality industry with the exception of I've never sat in an office, um, never done accounting or never done any of that kind of the, you know, the uh, totally academic stuff. But other than that, I have worked every single role there is in the industry. And then eventually um, after leaving corporate just prior to COVID, I broke out on my own with my brother and we uh, opened up a small little niche consulting agency, which is now because of COVID is now splintered into three or four different consulting services. And we've um, we've got some incredible collaborations going with everyone from other chefs around the world to working with architects to working with kitchen engineers. We've pretty much got the whole hospitality services package package round out. So that kind of brings us to where we are today. So right now we have the small consulting agency. Uh, We focus uh, primarily in resort environments. Uh, Right now I'm sitting in Nicaragua, which is is nice. Um, As soon as the snow falls, we'll be moving into our ski resort clients. And we focus on everything from design to concepting to menu development and engineering to coaching. So that's, that's kind of everything in a nutshell. That's that's 35 years of uh, hospitality trajectory in five minutes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's awesome that you're able to really start from the ground, work your way up to that. That really does, I feel like, give you that experience that when you're up there at the top and you're helping get them all set up, you know what it takes in every step of the way to really be successful there. So that's exciting. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Nicaragua. What took you there right now? What you're doing there? And uh uh, what's coming up next here when you said get back into that ski season moving into those resorts what's that's gonna what's that gonna look like day to day so there's a there's quite a few uh questions in there <laughs> but yeah so Sorry. um prior to covid well so we my brother and i have always had that aspiration to live the anthony bourdain lifestyle right we always wanted to get on the road we wanted to experience as much as we could in the space that we worked within so it was always it was both a passion a career and a lifestyle and then um, when I left the corporate world and we opened up this agency, our first clients were ski resort clients. And so we became known as the specialists in that space. And so it was great. We've got clients from Vancouver to Maine and all across the, uh, you know, all across North America. So that became a really, it was a great place. We landed in a good spot. And then when COVID came and everybody shut down, 
we had to take inventory, like what are we gonna do? How are we gonna pivot? What are we gonna offer to clients during COVID and post COVID? And that's when we decided to kind of um, specialize in a few areas. And we, I said, we expanded kind of our portfolio of offerings. But one of the things that I wanted to do and one of our kind of, I don't know, our unique selling propositions, if you will, is when we actually go to meet prospective clients and we get that grilling, you know, why would we choose you and we're not Nick's company or why wouldn't we choose you and go with Bianca's agency is one of the things we like to say is like, listen, I'm not, this isn't just my job nine to five and I'm not just slugging it out. I'm immersed in this world and I'm living it day to day as my lifestyle. So one of the things that we wanted to be able to bring to a lot of our clients was, hey, I, we know that Latin American food is really big on menus right now. We know that a lot of you are exploring concepts in that genre. Let me bring to you some authenticity because I was just in Playa del Carmen and I learned how to make the best al pastor. I was just in Mexico City and studied moles for six weeks, that kind of stuff. So that was a bit of the impetus. One was to live that Bourdain lifestyle to get out there and see the world from the hospitality, culinary, beverage side of things. And then to be able to bring that back to our clients and say, hey, we're not just reading this stuff online. We're not just curating content from you know, scoop.it. We're actually out there. And so that was the motivation. And then this year, so I've spent a year in Bermuda. Uh, I spent some time in Dominican Republic, some time in Jamaica. I did almost a year traveling all of Mexico. Now I'm in Nicaragua, and then next on the stop could potentially be uh, Portugal is what we're looking at. Um, but I'm hoping to be able, from all those experiences, all that exposure, meeting chefs in all of these small towns and different resorts is not only to bring that back to our clients, but eventually be able to expand our ski resort portfolio into a ski and beach resort portfolio. Well, and you've been all over the place and there's so many interesting things and places that you've been, but of course our humble, maybe not so humble little town of Boston is one of the ones that you've been to. So for a lot of our listeners, they are in the New England area. Can you give us a little bit of insight on, I don't know if you're allowed to like disclose which places you worked on here, but uh, what some of your favorite spots are around a little bean town? Well, I will tell you, I have lived all over the world. I'm a Canadian, you know, by birth. um, And that's what it says on my passport but I've had a really good fortune where after I owned one of my nightclubs and we had some pretty good success and we were touring around with some of the liquor agencies and wine agencies and talking about our model because it was a wine and champagne and tapas bar. Um, I was able to connect with a family in Boston um, at one of these seminars and they're a long-standing family hospitality business in Boston. Like some of their venues is the Black Rose, Cleary's. Back in the day, they used to be the Shamrock. Um, back in the day, back in the day was Jose McIntyre's. I think you guys are both too young to know that one. But nowadays, the family runs some really nice operations, premier venues like the Granary Tavern down on the Greenway, um, Dylan's in the Back Bay. So I was recruited by them, came out to Boston for my first stint and worked for that family for five years and helped them just bring all of those individual concepts together under one umbrella Um, because they were also really focused on real estate as as an organization and as a family. Um, It was an amazing experience. I fell in love with Boston, especially the first time I went to Fenway. And my first game at Fenway was inside the monster, not on top, inside, right? So I fell in love with uh, Boston. And then since then, I've come back and forth on a number of occasions. And then I think that we've done, you know, in different various collaborations and working with different people, 
think we've got almost topped about 20 to 25 venues within the city, you know, working with people like Tanya Nyack, working with the Glen Hospitality Group. Um, for a while, I was working with um, a company that actually was building restaurants um, for celebrity chefs like Ming Tsai and Ken Oranger and, and, and so forth. So really got to see all of Boston in all the various tiers and all its offerings. And so I, it's my favorite city. I try to, whenever I'm flying, whenever I'm traveling, I try to make Boston one of the stops on the itinerary. And whenever you come to Boston, is there one food item or one restaurant that you have to go to every time you visit? But you know what? I actually I keep a pretty close eye on Eater. And I know that might sound cheesy, like using an online um, referral or reservation platform um, or something along those lines to, to find hotspots. But I find that they're pretty in tune with things. And so I usually check with them. And then of course, I've got so many friends that are in the industry there and they've always got, you got to check this out. We got to go to Somerville. I'm like, really? We're going to Somerville? And they're like, there's this hottest little you know, place you'd never even heard of. So I'm really fortunate because of my network Every time I come back, there's always something new to see. And then one of the things I've really loved about Boston is when I first worked there, it was lobster rolls, clam belly, burgers, and the occasional really watered down pasta. Boston wasn't really known as a food city when I first um, was exposed to it. So it's been amazing to watch it evolve. And it's now one of the best little food scenes in all of my travels. It's right up there with New York and San Francisco and Portland. Um, Portland, Oregon, right? So um, it's it's a hot scene. So I don't have a specific cuisine because I'm always surprised to see how more diverse it is every time I come back, you know? And that means, I mean, diversity and yeah, you'll see a lobster roll, but now you got guys just doing it seven ways from Sunday. You know, you have a Thomas Keller version, a David Chang version, you've got um, the Ken Oranger version, the Ming Tsai version, but then you just have also all this different ethnicity and diversity on menus now. So it, uh, there's no more rules. So it's not, you can go into a place like the Granary Tavern and you'll see some Asian influences. You'll see some Indian, Indian influences. Then you'll see some hardcore Massachusetts staples. So it's, it's great. I think that Boston really is an enjoyable city to walk around in and graze all the way through, right? And you brought up Portland, Oregon as well. So I just moved back here to Mass from Portland, Maine. The other Portland on the other Portland, well, and, one and, of the East Port Coast. Portland, Maine is also a, a happening spot, especially for how small it is, yeah. right? That's what I wanted to bring up. It's such a small population. It's not a huge city, but the food culture and the like the brewery and the, you know, local small business culture up there is excellent. There's so many good restaurants. I think Let it's me, awesome. Yeah. One of my one of my favorite favorite restaurants of all time is Four Street, right? Four Street. Mine is yeah. Terralingua. I don't know if you oh. you got to visit nope. Terralingua up there. Nope. Next time you're in Portland, Washington Ave, there's a uh, it's a Mexican barbecue restaurant. And, you know, they do everything the right way. They got big red, their big old smoker there. Can always smell it cooking and it's the most excellent. Uh, I'm I'm down for that. And then the other one I always I just like to poke my into just because is High Rollers. Right? Yep. High Roller yeah. Lobster Company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So definitely. But yeah, I just wanted to bring I think they do a great job. Portland, and I use them Oregon. a lot of time to give a shout out to the other Portland as well. <laughs> okay. Shout out done. We all, we all agree. Portland's a, is a happening spot. <laughs> Nick and I obviously have to know. Where does the nickname T-Bone come from? You know what? I've, I've almost thought about taking that out of my bios and out of my social pages because it's actually kind of a, an abusive story about my grandfather, right? So when we were growing up, like I was telling you about how, you know, I did the rodeo for a while and the rodeo clown stuff and, the, and worked with the bulls. Well, I grew up 
where we spent half our time, my brother and I with my mom, who was a single mom and worked in the hospitality industry and she was a flight attendant. And then the other half of our time, we mostly our summers and that we spent with my grandparents and my grandfather was like a rodeo legend. So we spent the summers touring around in a camp or going to all the rodeos and to all the local fairs and that. And when you're at that age and you're hanging out with Clint Eastwood as your, as your grandfather, abuse is part of the program, right? That's what they call the tough love. So after all these rodeos, all the cowboys would get together at my grandfather's camper, the fire would be going at age of nine. I, there I am bartending, making crown and cokes for all the cowboys and popping open cans, Pilsner. And then um, they would, that's also where we'd also be eating. My grandmother would be cooking up feasts at the same time. So I was the waiter. I was the, uh, you know, the, the guy that fixed everyone's or took off everyone's boots. I was the part-time soup cook, depending when I was called in. But my grandfather thought it was always important to keep me humble, as he put it, is when all the cowboys are around, he's like, T-Bone, get me this, T-Bone, get one of these other guys, one of those, T-Bone, go get this done. And everyone's like, why do you call that kid T-Bone? And he's like, look at his teeth. He could eat a, ste a T-Bone steak off both sides at the same time. He has such a gap in his teeth. So um, that's where the name came from. And I've had nicknames in every city I've ever lived in, every venue I've ever worked at. But that one seems to have stuck around. It's one of those ones you don't want to stick around, and it does. But, um, yeah, it's my grandfather making fun of my poor dentistry. But um, at least it motivated my mom to, to send us off to the, you know, the dentist and the orthodontist. So that's where it came from. There you go. Well, sorry to bring up bad memories there. With no, the, it, the poor nickname, they're all, but, yeah. <laughs> they're all good true. memories. I just think nowadays it would be, it would be considered child abuse. <laughs> Got it. Hey, and now you have something to identify with, and you have a cool story behind it. So there there we go not the worst thing that comes out of it and you work in the hospitality space all over the all over the world really uh what are some of the key words that you would use to describe your approach to hospitality good question i don't think i've been asked that before um well one of our one of the things that we like to say as a team so there's my brother and myself and two other members in addition to our extended network of chefs and you know, um, you know, and so forth, is we like to say that our goal is hospitality. So a lot of times we get hired as F&B consultants, or we'll get hired to come in to do, let's say, master programming for a resort. And the very first discussion we have is, hey, listen, just so you know, we're in the hospitality industry, and our whole goal is finding a way through the operations, through branding, through menu development, through everything else that everyone's going to say is their core business is creating a hospitality experience. So that's our first thing that I think kind of makes us stand out is we're looking for the experience first and then working backwards to say what defines that experience, what's the stimulus that is going to um, create that experience in the guest minds and then uh, in their memories. And then the other thing is that we're immersive. So I'm a total vagabond, right? Nomadic. Like so my brother has a family. He's, uh, he's stationary. He's in Canada. He has a home where I have a laptop, a backpack, and I'll, you know, have, you know, have a project will travel. So one of the things that we like to say is different from our approach is we're immersive. We don't just try to do it all over Zoom. We don't just try to do it from a set of files. Um, we always try to kind of become a part of the project and a part of our client's culture. And that takes being there and being a part of it and not just working with the c-suite not just working with the architects and designers but working with everybody so we could be having questions and working in the dish pit and asking the guys so what would be better here what would make it more efficient or working with the front of house um concierge or the front of house staff and say okay where's the problems is it the pos is is it the, you know, the table layout so we're very immersive 
And then the other thing is we don't look at it from what we think is right. We work with the teams to find out what's right, right? So a lot of consultants in my experience back when I used to hire consultants was they come in with an, you know, some incredible knowledge. They come in um, having eyes on a lot of different projects around you know, the different marketplaces, but it's usually telling you what to do where our approach is tell us what you need or tell us what you think, and we'll help you shape that, we'll help you present it, and we'll help you put a plan together so it's actually something that can be executed. So I think that's what makes us a little bit different um, is we're more about being a vendor than we are being you know, an enforcer, right? And, and we're immersive. Like the more times that we can throw on our chef jackets and work the line or work the pass or be a part of a staff meeting, the way better the outcome is when it comes to us making recommendations, right? Yeah, and you have venues of all different types, but I think we all kind of have like a drink of choice. Do you have a cocktail that you typically will lean for, like towards when you're at the bar or do you try all different things? I feel like we all just have oh, that state. Absolutely. I'll try. So I'll try anything. I don't want to sound like a lush, but I'll try whatever someone's putting in front of me because that's how you're going to, you know, stumble across something new, something unique, something yeah. that's very proprietary and innovative. Um, but I do gravitate towards the wines when I have my own preference, right? So um, when I'm traveling, it'll be, what are you guys known for? What are you proud of? What do you, you know, what's kind of hot in the market? And once I get through those four or five items, then I usually gravitate back towards the wines, right? Um, my brother calls me a very, a very active wine enthusiast, right? So... That's how Nick and I got into this. We just love to try different things. So we're, we're right there with you. We're, you know we're what, on here talking to everybody. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's such a, we're, we live in such an amazing time where creativity and innovation and no rules or no boundaries. Um, and then everyone's got access to information. Everyone can take a, core, a master class online. They can take a W set online. They can really become educated. So it's, it's crazy. I'll go like right now I'm in San Juan del Sur, very small little surf town in Nicaragua. And I can't believe some of the level of mixology that I'm seeing from various bartenders. And they're all self-trained. No one's educating these guys. They're just online. They're figuring it out. They're testing products. And so, yeah, when you, when you travel and, or even like when you're in this game, you got to be open to everything and you got to, you got to try a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's one of the most common themes we see here with our guests is when they come on, most of them started doing it as a hobby, as something that was just like a little interest that they stumbled upon. Specifically, a lot of our brewers, the home brewing is the number one thing, a lot yes. of people that we end up having on here. But like you're saying, when it comes down to it, being able to have access to the information, especially post-COVID, that's when we started this. And I think everyone just becoming very comfortable with Zoom and talking over platforms like yeah. this really made it easy for us to talk to a lot of different people, whether it's people in California, people in Portland, Maine, right, you know, nearby, we're able to have these conversations with people just, you know, that we find interesting and with products that we find interesting, like uh, some cool wineries and cool breweries. And it really is a lot of fun getting to talk to them about what, what? makes them love. And, and Nick, I applaud you guys and I wish that there was more operators on, let's say our side, more operators that have the kind of the open minds that you and Bianca have, where it's like, hey, we have a global community now, like nothing, regardless of travel with the internet and Zoom and everything else, it's a global community. So one of the things I always do when I'm about to hit to a new city or I'm exploring a new city is you get under Facebook groups. You only have to be on for a little while, meet a few people, but there's just so much active 
access out there. So it's great. I've been into a couple of restaurants where I'll walk in and I'll see somebody watching the Food Network on their laptop before they come up with their specials for the night. Um, you'll see people that'll get online. I, I'm in a lot of these Facebook groups where they're supposed to be about travel and accommodations but a lot of times you'll see on there oh guys you got to try this rice dish around the corner or don't miss the guy that's doing meat kebabs three blocks down out of a you know out of a cart so i think that right now with this kind of medium like you say and this the fact you can reach out to anybody nowadays you can slide into their dms so to speak is it's now just a global community and there's just access to everything which is nice and you get so many different perspectives like i've been talking for the last couple of weeks now with somebody out of marrakesh and i just stumbled across on instagram and like we're sharing recipes he wants to have more western recipes and i want to learn all about the cuisine from where he's at and it's just a great conversation and you know i would have never bumped into that guy on the side streets of boston kind of thing right yeah. And what's one of the things, so when you're talking to different people, getting back to what you do in the hospitality and consulting, these restaurants that are opening up or these resorts, what's the one feature that you see in common between the ones that end up being successful, like the newer startup ones that you know, really differentiates them? Well, and I'll tell you, COVID really kind of shone a light on that. But I will say the ones that are successful, regardless of their offerings, regardless of their level of design, um, irrespective of the amount of resources they have, it's the ones that have a solid culture, right? It's the ones that really have good people on board that respect the fact that, and identify the fact that they are good people and treat them as such, that have a real sense of hospitality starts in-house before it reaches the guests. And I find that those are the most successful. And it could be that they don't have a great product or maybe not be just totally dialed in, but the guests just pick up on the vibe, the staff, the turnover is minimal, the amount of camaraderie that they can get, you know, especially when everyone's running shorthanded these days, when there's a solid culture, everybody looks out for everybody and they get it done. Um, and then it translates to the guest experience. So I'd say that's number one. Number two is I would say that the ones that are thriving and the ones that are, I would say a little bit bulletproof. So they're not too worried about changes in the marketplace they're not too worried about the trends that are happening on TikTok. you know they're paying attention to all that stuff but they're the ones that have a plan and it sounds so basic like in any industry in the world let's say you're talking about the homebrew so let's say the home brewing guy decides he wants to branch out and he wants to start selling retail you know there's a few hurdles to go through there's some mechanics but especially if they're going for funding if they're a mom operation or they're a cottage operation they're going to go to a bank, they're going to go to lenders, they're going to go to friends and family, and they're going to present a plan. Where in our travels, the one of the things that we don't see, which is unfortunate, is usually the, one of the first questions we ask is, hey, let's just have a look at your strategies. Let's just have a look at your brand narrative and articulation. Can we see the F&B language to see if it aligns with everything that you're producing? And only the ones that are top percent, one percenters, the ones that are crushing it and not worried about any kind of pendulum swings in marketplace are the ones that have a plan and they're visiting it, revisiting it, tweaking it. And everybody on their team knows about it from the CEO down to, you know, the guys that are running the lifts and the kids that are doing in-room service, you know, in-room dining services. So I would say that's one and two culture, number one, and because culture seems to allow you to just operate and be successful where I think a plan in addition to culture or complementing culture allows you to grow and to thrive, right? Yeah, and you obviously, you know, you love to eat, you obviously are interested in wine, you've mentioned that, and just exploring and learning about different cultures. 
But when you're not on the hospitality scene, you're not within that food and bev entertainment space. Is there something that you love to do outside of work that you're trying to do whenever you go to a new place? No. <laughs> so um, I always used to say, and I had this line that I got from a mentor early on is like, hey, Travis, take this seriously as a career. Because at the time I was bartending and I was working my way into management. And this guy brought me on into operations. And he's like, this is a career. Treat it like any other you know, any other um, business or any other industry that someone would enter into. And I took that, I took that to heart early on. And, but then my career became that, you know, follow your passion kind of thing. And then it became, Hey, I'm passionate about this. So when I'm not actually on the clock, I'm still out there researching and experience and I'm living the life that most people pay to, to, to go and experience. Right. And that was one of the things that Roger taught me was, hey, listen, every Friday, Saturday night when we're lined up down the road and you're behind the bar being a donkey and, you know, you're, you know, you're raking on all these tips. He says you're living the lifestyle that everybody worked all week to come out and experience. So um, for me, it's not work and it's not it's just it's just it, how I live. So if I'm not working on a project, if I'm not out exploring then I'm writing about it or I'm studying about it or, you know, I'm just get caught up in a casual conversation with the table next to me or the bus driver, or, you know, the, the flight attendant. So for me, it's, it's 24 seven, but it's not a job by any, any stretch. Is there anywhere that you haven't visited yet that you have on your bucket list to get to? Oh, for sure. So coming up after I finish, um, you know, Central America, Latin America, South America, I'm going to be heading over to Portugal and then Italy and France. Those are going to be hardcore. I have to visit. Um, and for a lot of reasons, including the culinary aspects and the history behind hospitality. Um, but those are going to be long-term stays. So one of the things I've been doing, like, because my entire life is in a container in Vancouver. And like I said, I just have this backpack is I'm free to wander. And I'm also, which one was one of the positive things out of COVID, if you could say that, is so many countries have opened up the doors to allowing you to take long-term visas and to have residency permits and stuff. So what used to be, hey, you can't stay in this, you know, in this country for more than 45 days and you have to go back, is now you can get a permit or sorry, you can get a, um, yeah, a permit uh, where you can stay for three months, six months, three years. So I went from doing a month here, 45 days there, where now I'm looking at probably some more extended stays. So once I make my way over to Portugal and over to uh, Europe, I'll probably be looking at one year to two year to three year stays, depending where I'm at, right? That sounds so. amazing. <laughs> but then of course, every time I'm flying somewhere, I have to go through Boston. And, and here's the other thing is, so with our ski resort clients, like I was mentioning to you earlier, Nick, is when, you know, hopefully there's snow on the ground when it comes American Thanksgiving, but when the snow hits the, you know, the mountains and they're in full, full tilt is that's when I have to go, not have to, that's when I get to go and drop into and see all of our clients when they're at full capacity and they're humming along and, and seeing them when all the guests are there. Um, so you actually get to experience it like the guests would experience it. So regardless of where I'm stationed at, whether it's Nicaragua or Bermuda or whatever it is, um, if I can get on a plane in an international airport, I'm going to be on the road anyways. So it's just where I'm choosing to make home base, so to speak. Um, but that's, that's not the world we live in. And it's also nice that you were saying Nick, is people now way more uh, accepting of, Hey, we're, we're going to look at you as a consultant because we can do a lot of it online. 
Whereas before they were like, well, we worry that you live all over the place and you don't really live anywhere. You're a bit of a hobo. And so they would get worried that I wouldn't be a reliable consultant. Um, but now with the internet and Zoom and Teams and Slack and every other platform out there, everyone's a little bit more comfortable um, in that. But then they always want you to come out and see things when they're, you know, when they're firing on all pistons. I'm sure. I mean, nothing beats that in-person experience. That's that's definite. Oh. Why, why wouldn't I want to go? It's like, oh, uh, while I'm here, I think I better ski for a couple of days and I better <laughs> snow, you know, and they, they, of course, one of the things I love about the resort world is how they treat their consultants. They're just amazing. Like they roll out the red carpets and they want you to experience as much as you can so that you can identify with where a lot of restaurants, like we've done restaurant projects in the past where you go in and to help them, they're, they're in need of support. They're in need of guidance. And they'll invite you in and they're late for the meeting and they don't actually allow you to try anything off the menu and they don't want you talking to staff. And I'm like, I'm not getting the experience that I think we need to be able to coach you. But yeah, so the, the resort world is they're just so intent on making sure everybody is, is emotionally you know, jazzed up. Right. And before we wrap, is there one sneak of a price? peak of a project that you can give us a little insight on or is everything oh uh, yeah well it's not so sneak peek anymore and actually it's <laughs> funny you say that because i get excited a lot of times when we work on projects especially in the resorts because they're usually pretty big scale or they're just new innovation like they're over the top so i get in trouble a lot of times where i'll leave a meeting or leave a session and they have the pr materials i'm like i'm gonna post this on instagram then i get a note from their marketing department's like hey guy not cool i'm like oh i thought we were all good but i think it's out there now but uh, if you look at big sky montana which has been one of our clients for a lot of years they are building this facility mid-mountain that is just beyond world class it's like something from Alps in Europe, and it's um, it's just going to be a really incredible, dynamic, multi-concept venue on the side of a mountain, at, right next to a lift. Um, so it, I'm pretty excited about that project. It's a few years out now, but we've been working on it for a few years. They've been working on it for a few years. We've been participating, I should say, and it's uh, it's coming to fruition. So that that's going to be when that when they launch that, that's going to be something that gets press worldwide. That'll be very exciting. We're looking forward to uh, seeing that. And I might have to be taking a trip out to Montana to check that out once it's fully open. Yeah. Well, the next time I'm out, you guys, if you guys are into snowboarding and skiing, we've got clients on, you know, Sunday River is one of our clients and Sugarloaf and, um, you know, Loon. So if you guys are up for boarding and a little wine, you know, on the side of a hill. <laughs> I'm a big snowboarder. So when you're oh, in nice. the area, you reach out to me and I'll be out there with you. Done. And like I said, they're so good about taking care of, of their guests when they come out. So it's it's a great day. And we can stay overnight. We don't have to do the day in and day out back to Boston because that's never good. <laughs> Absolutely. Those uh those 5 a.m. three hour rides up to the resorts are never fun for me. But yeah, yeah again, this day of the night makes it a little better. You and Bianca can do that. I'll hang out at the resort overnight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, so glad to have you on tonight. Uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with us and tell us a little bit about your lifestyle and about how you got to where you are now. Uh, we look forward to getting this up and so people can learn more about you. And we look forward to talking with you again in the future. Cheers. Nick, appreciate it. Bianca, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, it was great talking to you guys. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully.